the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. This is Tracy Weaver. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His graces? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin And be washed in the blood of the Lamb There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb Are you washed in the blood In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb Are your garments spotless? Are they white as blood of the Lamb. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away.
when John Bunyan speaks about the narrow gate, I'm not quite certain what he means. But when Jesus speaks about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the meaning is very clear. Jesus' teaching was that the narrow path was the entrance into the way of the Holy Spirit. It was the way into salvation. It was where the decision was was made. I will follow Jesus. I will, I will follow Jesus for the removal of my sins, forgiveness, being justified and made righteous. I am going to the celestial city, and so all else is laid aside. And the great issue of life is to follow the narrow path. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress, where Ray and Alexandra Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. The great concern of my heart is that you be saved, but not just saved, but sanctified, made holy, made righteous. There's much evil in this world, and the heart of man is utterly evil. But we serve a Jesus who can transform a man or a woman into a new creature. What a glorious, glorious truth this is. And we enter into that new life on the narrow path the narrow gate. We're going to read today the next step that Bunyan takes, which is sending Christian to the house of the interpreter or the house of the Holy Spirit. And he outlines some very specific, how should we call it? lessons, illustrations that we need to keep in mind as we follow after the Holy Spirit leading us on this narrow path. Now as we begin today, I'd like us to pray together. Lord Jesus, we need the power and presence of your Holy Spirit to teach us and to draw us in And we plead, Jesus, that you would guide our steps and open our minds. Give us understanding, but also the will, the decision to be utterly given to you, Jesus. Jesus, we come to you today boldly confessing our love for you and our obedience to you by the power of your blood. Lord, thank you. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, the first place we're going to begin, we shared with you yesterday, but let's just review it so we keep everything in context. Christian left this narrow gate and walked now on the narrow path until he came to the house of the interpreter or the Holy Spirit. And there he knocked over and over. He waited on the Holy Spirit. 
We'll talk much more about this as we move forward in the book. A man came at last and asked who was there. And Christian told him, Sir, I'm a traveler who was told by an acquaintance of the good man of this house to come here for my profit. Therefore, I would like to speak with the master of the house. So the man called for the master of the house, who, after a little time, came to Christian, asking how he might assist him. Before we get into the story, I wanted to jump in on this situation of how Bunyan places, by situation I mean how Paul Bunyan situates the order of events on this road to salvation. He begins with first, you enter through the narrow gate, and then at this point, Christian our main character has still not gotten to the cross and instead he first goes to the house of the interpreter or the house of the Holy Spirit. Now I find this to be a rather unusual interpretation however it's possible that where Bunyan was going with this is that it is a function of the Holy Spirit to convince us of our sin to show us our need for Jesus However, Christian already had this. He already had the conviction of his sin, and that is what had led him up to this point in the first place. Now, that being said, the illustrations we're about to read, there are a number of them. And these illustrations are really interesting because they're kind of timeless. It's incredible. You read this book that was written about 400 years ago, and the way that people relate to each other is still the same, the illustrations that we're about to share are just as relevant today as they were at the time they were written. So I just encourage you not to try to, what's the word I'm looking for here, block out what you think needs to be this one, two, three, four, five, six step of your own Christian journey based on how Paul Bunyan interprets the placement of the narrow gate of the cross of the Holy Spirit. But instead, I encourage you to look at sort of the bigger, deeper lessons that we can glean from these illustrations. And so the first one is, he's now in the house of the interpreter, and he commands his servant to bring a, a candle and he asks Christian to follow him to a private room and there when the door is opened there is revealed a picture of a very grave person hanging on the wall this is what the man in the picture looked like he had eyes lifted up to heaven the best of books in his hand the law of truth written upon his lips the world behind his back, he stood as if pleading with men and a crown of gold hung over his head. Christian said, what does this mean? Well, the man in this picture represents one of a thousand. He can conceive children, travail in birth with children, and nurse them himself when they are born. You see how his eyes lifted up to heaven, the best of books, that is the Bible, in his hand, and the law of truth written on his lips. 
All this is to show you that his work is to know and unfold dark things to sinners. Well, what are the dark things he's to unfold to sinners? The wrath of God against all sin. The destruction of the wicked. These are dark things. Dark things can also simply mean when we're in sin, we don't see clearly. So we need to have light shown on us so that we know what the truth is. So it also means on a more simple level of just opening the eyes of sinners to see the truth about God and about their own condition. And you see him pleading with men. The world casts behind him and a crown hanging over his head to show you that by rejecting and despising the things of this present world for the love that he has for his master's service, he is sure to have glory as his reward in the world to come. I show you this first because the man whom it represents is the only man authorized by the Lord of the, of the palace where you're going to be your guide in all the difficult places you will encounter on the way. So pay attention to what I've shown you and keep this picture foremost in your mind so that if you meet with someone who doesn't resemble this picture's likeness but who pretends to lead you in the right way, you will not follow him down to destruction. Well, just very quickly... Let's be straight up. If you go to church this Sunday and the man who is assigned to preach the word to you and to unfold the mysteries of righteousness to you and to convict you of your sin, if that man begins with jokes and casualness, if through the message there are foolishness there is foolishness spoken there is a lightness then you need to leave that place don't be there this is the first lesson of the holy spirit be careful to whom you listen and follow in the direction of the holy spirit because many will take you down into darkness. You are responsible before Jesus to follow the Holy Spirit as he leads you. So be careful who you listen to and follow the narrow path. Jesus spoke of this in what's recorded now as Matthew chapter 7. Interestingly, he says, first enter in at the straight or narrow gate. And then the very next thing he says is, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. 
every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them so jesus is telling us here to look at the results or the actions of someone who alleges to be a minister or it could just be someone who you encounter on the street it could be a friend anybody who's saying that they're speaking for god including us you're to judge us by our fruit is what we're saying if you were to actually follow what we're saying would it lead you to be a loving virtuous kind peaceful gentle person or if you were to follow what we were saying would it lead you to doing evil but calling it good would it lead you to stealing from people would it lead you to oppressing people to trying to quote break the will of your children i really hope none of you are caught in that but it is a big snare today in the church in other words is what you're being taught as you follow it would it actually result in brokenness or would it result in healing and life? Now, what's interesting about John Bunyan's portrayal of this is he introduces this picture of he can conceive children, travail in birth with children, and nurture them himself when they are born. So according to Bunyan, one way that we can discern a true prophet or a true teacher is that person has the ability to bring people to Jesus and then to nurture them and help them grow up as whole, loving, mature Christians after they have received the new birth. Now, this is where we begin today. The interpreter took Christian by the hand and led him into a very large parlor that was full of dust because it was never swept. After he had reviewed it, the interpreter called for a man to come and sweep. And now when he began to sweep, the dust began to fly about so much and was so thick that Christian almost choked. Then said the interpreter to a, a young woman that stood nearby, Bring water and sprinkle the room. And when she had done as requested, it was, slept, it was swept and cleansed very pleasantly. Then Christian asked, well, what does this mean? The interpreter answered, This parlor is the heart of a man that has never been sanctified by the sweet grace of the gospel. The dust is the inward corruption that has defiled the whole man. The first man that began to sweep is the law. The young woman that brought water and sprinkled it is the gospel. You saw that as soon as the first man began to sweep, the dust filled the room. It was so thick, it could not be cleansed, and you almost choked on it. This is to show you that the law, instead of cleansing the heart from sin, actually revives, increases, and adds strength to it. Even though the law uncovers and forbids sin, it is powerless to conquer or subdue it at all. We were speaking earlier this morning about a conversation that Alexandra had with a man who was very honest 
about how evil the world is. Yes, I was at the gym and I was talking to one of my friends who uh, bench presses in competition, and he said that he he was telling me there's no other species that kills other members of their own species the way that human beings do. And then he gave this example of Alexander Hamilton's vice president shot a man to death in a duel because he had been personally offended. It wasn't a political issue, it was an issue of personal offense. And he went on to share how in his own life he had been part of a lot of physical violence been in a lot of fights, been in the Navy, and he was just very aware and honest about the evil that's in every person. He said, there is evil in every person. If you put it in the right place at the right time, it's going to come out. And I said, well, you know that God isn't happy that we're killing each other this way or that we're hurting each other this way. And he gave us Christ so that that evil thing in us could actually be removed and we would be restored to the image of God. And he just didn't really quite believe it. So I'm thinking about my next conversation with him, how I'm going to tackle it. What would you like to say on that, Ray? Well, I admire his honesty. For the evil is so great. And the message that we're bringing to you is that that evil can be cleansed, but not by the law. This man has tried to do what is right. And he has matured remarkably to the point he no longer needs to fight with physical violence. But he's still very aware of the evil that is in him. Well, the only way that evil can be removed is by the power of the blood of Jesus, which totally transforms a man and makes him into a new creature. That's the gospel that we bring to you. He says, Then you saw the young woman sprinkle the room with water, after which it was pleasantly cleansed. This is to show you the way in which the gospel comes into the heart with its sweet and precious influences. You saw the young woman clear the dust from the room by sprinkling the floor with water. This shows how sin is vanquished and subdued, I would say destroyed, and the soul made clean through faith and consequently fit for the king of glory to inhabit. So we can know what is right, and we've spoken both with many people who know what is right, but are unable to do it, and so they feel condemned. And rightly, they should feel condemned, because they will face the judgment bar of God, and they will be cast into hell for their sin and for the evil that is within them. How could God take us into heaven? He would simply be creating another hellish earth. But the gospel provides a cleansing, a washing, the fountain of blood to be plunged into, to be washed clean and totally changed. 
This is the glorious gospel that the Holy Spirit wants us to learn about. Christian then goes on to another room, and there he sees two little children, each one in his own chair. The name of the older child was Passion, and the name of the younger was Patience. Passion seemed to be very discontent, but Patience was very quiet. Then Christian asked, what is the reason for the discontentment of passion? The interpreter answered, Their guardian would have them wait for their best things until the beginning of next year. Passion wants it all now, but patience is willing to wait. Then I saw that someone came to passion and brought him a bag of treasure, pouring it at his feet. Passion picked up the treasure, rejoicing, and laughed patience to scorn. But as I watched for a while, all the treasure either rusted or molded away, and soon he had nothing left but rust and rags. Then Christian asked the interpreter to explain this more fully to him. So he said, These two boys are symbols, passion of the men of this world, and patience of the men of that world which is to come. You saw that passion wanted to have it all now, this year. In other words, the men of this world want all their good things now in this world and cannot wait for their portion of good in the next world. The proverb, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, is of more authority with them than are all the divine testimonies of the good that is waiting in the world to come. How many times have we talked with someone, Alexandra, who says, God is slow. I want it now. I want the wife now. I want this now. I want this. And if God's not going to do it, I'm going to go get it on my own. He reminds me of this illustration. Now the other man, Passion, it says, But as you saw, Passion... I'm sorry, this is still referring to Passion's treasure... Passion had quickly wasted all his treasure away and was soon left with nothing but rags. Mm -hmm. So will it be with all such men at the end of this world. Mm -hmm. Then said Christian, now I see that patience was the wisest for several reasons. First, because he waited for the best things. Second, because he will have the glory of his reward when the other has nothing but rags. Yes, interpreter said, and you may add another reason which is that the glory of the next world will never wear out, whereas the treasure that Passion received was suddenly gone. As it turns out, Passion had no reason to laugh at Patience just because he had his good things first. In the end, Patience will laugh at Passion because Patience will have his best things last, for first must give place to last. The last things will finally come, and when they do, nothing will succeed or replace them. He that has his good things in this world spends and uses them up in time, but he that has his good things last has them forever. Just like it was said of the rich man, you in your lifetime received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now Lazarus is comforted, and you are tormented. Christian said, Now I perceive that it's best not to covet things that are in the here and now, but to wait for the things to come. 
you speak truly said the interpreter for the things that are seen are temporal but the things that are not seen are eternal but even though this is the case yet the things that are present are close neighbors with our fleshly appetites while the things that are to come are strangers to these appetites most people will not ignore the present world that they can see in order to make the world they cannot see the object of their desires therefore there is an immediate friendship between this world and a man's fleshly desires and a corresponding distance between the natural or carnal man and eternal things now i want you to recognize that as bunyan is sitting in that darkened cell writing these words suffering in prison he could have been out free and doing what men do getting ahead in life taking care of his wife and his family enjoying himself but no bunyan wanted what was best last he wanted the kingdom of god he was willing to sacrifice whatever was necessary now so that he could have the eternal treasure now we have another illustration he sees in his dream that the interpreter took christian by the hand and led him into a room where there was a fireplace the flames from the fireplace grew larger and hotter even though there was someone continually throwing water on it to try to quench it then said christian what does this mean the interpreter answered this fire is the work of grace that god accomplishes in the heart he who throws water on the flames to try to extinguish it is the devil but as you see the fire burns higher and hotter despite his efforts to put it out now let me show you the reason for that so the interpreter took christian to the other side of the wall and there he saw a man with a vessel of oil in his hand from which he secretly funneled oil into the fire then christian asked what does this mean the in the interpreter or the holy spirit answered this is jesus who continually with the oil of his grace maintains the work already begun in the heart no matter what the devil tries to do the gracious work that christ is doing in the souls of his people only increases you saw that the man stood behind the wall to maintain the fire that is to teach you that it is hard for the one being tempted to see how this work of grace is maintained in the soul. And I simply bear witness. I could not have walked this narrow path these years through the agonies of death and the loss of loved ones, through scorn and shame, through lack and deprivation, I could never have walked this path with a shining face, with glory, with praise on my lips for Jesus, if it had not been for Jesus in the secret part of my life, pouring in the oil of the Holy Spirit and quickening me and enlivening me. 
that is such a gift from the heart of Jesus. It's why this morning I was up early in the prayer closet. What was I doing? I was reading the word and I was praying. I was speaking in tongues. I was crying out for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was standing by faith. What was Jesus doing? Pouring in the oil to keep the flame of my love for him burning brightly through what is right now a very difficult time. But I'm not afraid of difficult times. Well, my body reacts with all kinds of strange manifestations. But I know Jesus is carrying me through. I know he's carrying Alexandra through. I know he's carrying the National Prayer Chapel through. I know he's carrying this broadcast through. How do I know that? Because the flame of his love keeps burning brighter and brighter in my heart. There's a story that I've I've just been living in it, and I want to share it quickly with you. It's the story of Hagar and Ishmael. Ishmael is scorning Isaac as he is having a great feast that his father is hosting for his weaning. And Sarah is angry and says, that boy, Ishmael, has to go. And Hagar has to go. Send them out of the camp. And Abraham is very troubled, and he says, but that's my boy. And God speaks to him by the Spirit and says to him, don't worry. I'll bless him because he's your boy. But send them out, as Sarah has said. And so he prepares food and water and gives them to Hagar and sends her off. And she gets lost in the desert. And she runs out of water. She runs out of everything. And their situation seems utterly hopeless. And it looks like they're going to die. So the young man, the boy, is laying on his face under a tree, a bush, trying to stay cool. But he's dying of thirst. And he's, he's weeping. He's crying. And Mama can't stand to see her son die, so she walks a bit away. She can still hear him, but she can't see him. And I suspect she's weeping also. They are in an utterly hopeless situation. There is absolutely no way they can be delivered from death. When God speaks, and he says to her, why are you weeping? I'm going to bless this boy. And I'm going to make a great nation of him. And then he says the most astonishing thing. The writer of this story. He says, God opened her eyes and she saw a well. Now, the well of water had been there all the time, but she couldn't see it. She got up and got water, took it to her son, and they were able to make it out. He lived in the desert. He became an archer. 
and he became the father of a great nation. Now, it's tragic that that great nation has been so in opposition to God's people, the sons of Isaac. But what struck me so powerfully is the Lord's word, you're not going to die in the desert. There will be provided a well. So I've been praying, Lord, open my eyes and show me the well. I can't see the well. All I can see is a very difficult time. I need to see the well. Perhaps today you find yourself in a very difficult time and you need the Holy Spirit to come. In the midst of the desert you may be in, in the midst of whatever the difficulty is, a health crisis, a financial crisis, whatever it is you find yourself in, you need to have God open your eyes to see that well. I look at this I look at this story. I want what is best. But it means I patiently wait upon God. And he will choose what to give and how to give it. The interpreter then takes Christian to another room. It says it's a pleasant place where there was built a stately palace, beautiful to behold. At the sight of it, Christian was greatly delighted. He looked up and saw people clothed in gold walking on top of the thick palace walls. Then Christian asked, may we go into the palace? The interpreter took him and led him up toward the door of the palace. There Christian saw a great company of men standing at the palace door, all desiring to go in, but few daring to. A little distance from the door, there was a man sitting at a table with a book open before him. He was writing the names of those who wished to enter the palace. Christian also saw in the doorway many armed men who were determined to inflict as many injuries and wounds as they could on anyone trying to enter the palace. Christian was amazed. At last, after every man retreated back for fear of the armed men, Christian saw a man with a very determined look on his face come up to the man sitting at the table and say, Write down my name, sir. As soon as his name was written in the book, Christian saw the man draw his sword, put a helmet upon his head, and rush toward the armed men at the door who tried to stop him with deadly force. But the man, not at all discouraged, began cutting and hacking most fiercely at his attackers. After he had received and given many wounds to those who attempted to keep him out, he cut his way through all of them and pressed forward into the palace. Then Christian heard a pleasant voice from those who were inside the palace, even those who walked on the top of the walls, saying, Come in, come in, eternal glory you shall win. So the determined man went in, and he was clothed with gold. Then Christian smiled and said, I think I know what this means, and I think it's time for me to continue my journey. No, said the interpreter, stay until I have shown you a little more, and after that you can go on your way. This amazing illustration. 
totally belies that it's easy to be saved. It is not easy to be saved. It requires taking up the sword of the Spirit and doing battle with powers of darkness that would prevent you from entering into that palace. But you can do it by the power of the blood of Jesus. We don't overcome sin by our own strength and our own power. We overcome sin and addiction and every kind of darkness by putting our trust totally in Jesus, renouncing our sin, and asking that that unclean thing be utterly removed from our hearts. And then the supernatural work of God comes and does that work. Anything further you want to share out of this palace story? Not at the moment. Well, let's go to the next illustration then. Now, the interpreter says the man, I'm sorry, he took Christian by the hand and led him into a very dark room where a man sat in an iron cage. The man in the cage seemed very sad. He sat with his eyes looking down to the ground, his hands folded together, and he sighed as if his heart would break. Then Christian asked, well, What does this mean? Instead of answering, the interpreter said, Christian, you talk with the man. And so Christian asked the man, Who are you? The man answered, I'm not what I used to be. Well, who did you used to be? The man said, I was once fair and flourishing in my profession of faith, both in my own eyes and also in the eyes of others. I was, I once thought, deserving of the celestial city and was full of joy as I considered going there. Well, who are you now? Well, now I'm a man of despair and it surrounds me as does this iron cage. I can't get out. Oh, now I cannot. But how did you come to be in this condition? Christian asked him. He answered honestly. I stopped being watchful and diligent. I rushed after my own lust. I sinned against the light of the word and the goodness of God. I have grieved the spirit and he is gone. I tempted the devil, and he came to me. I have provoked God to anger, and he has left me. I have so hardened my heart that I cannot repent. And Christian turned to the interpreter and said, Is there no hope for such a man as this? Ask him, said the interpreter. So Christian asked the man, Is there no hope? Must you be kept in the iron cage of despair? No hope now. None at all, replied the man in the iron cage. But consider this. The son of the blessed is full of pity. The man protested, I have crucified him to myself afresh. I have despised his person. I have despised his righteousness. 
I have counted his blood an unholy thing. I have insulted the spirit of grace. Therefore I have shut myself out of all the promises, and there now remains to me nothing but threatening, dreadful threatening, fearful threatening of certain judgment and fiery indignation. It shall devour me as an adversary. Well, how did you how did you bring yourself into such a condition? Well, the man explained, I promised myself much delight from the lust and pleasure and the profits of this world. But now every one of those things wounds me and gnaws at me like a burning worm. But can't you even now repent and turn away from those things? God has denied me repentance, the man said. His word gives me no encouragement to believe. He himself has shut me up in this iron cage, and all the men in the world do not have the power to let me out. Oh, eternity, eternity, how will I deal with the misery that waits for me in eternity? The interpreter said to Christian, Remember this man's misery and let it be an everlasting caution to you. Well, Christian said, this is fearful. May God help me to watch and to be sober and to pray that I may avoid the cause of this man's misery. But, sir, isn't it time for me to go on my way? <laughs> Do you see how impatient Christian is to be on his way as though that was what was important? Now, what was important were the lessons the Holy Spirit wanted to teach him. But in his immaturity, he did not want to wait on the Holy Spirit. He wanted to be about his own journey. But this journey is not our own journey. This is Jesus' journey. And we simply are called to follow him. Now, this man... In such misery, yes, you can commit the unpardonable sin. And what is that? That's calling the work of the Holy Spirit the work of the devil. And Jesus said, for that sin you cannot be forgiven. Because when you utterly deny the Holy Spirit and he no longer can speak to you and you have utterly shut him out, he is the only one who can teach you about Jesus. And if you can't be taught anything about Jesus, you have committed the unpardonable sin. This man, from what's described here, has not committed the unpardonable sin. He is instead in an iron cage of his own making. Because he will not humble his heart. He would rather condemn himself to death than humble his heart. I don't want that to be my condition or yours. It is of great importance that we humble our heart before God and before one another, that we wash one another's feet that we do kind acts of service one to another. And as we do these things, our heart is humbled and warmed and enriched. And the glory of Jesus begins to shine forth from our life. Well, we have one more. Do we have time to finish this? I think we do. 
Maybe, let's try. The interpreter, the interpreter took Christian by the hand and led him into a chamber where there was a man getting out of bed. And as he dressed himself, he shook and trembled. Then Christian asked, Why does this man tremble? The interpreter then called the man over to him to tell Christian the reason for his trembling. This is what the man told Christian. This night, as I was in my sleep, I dreamed and witnessed the heavens grow pitch black. I also heard and saw the most terrible thunder and lightning. So I looked up in my dream and saw the clouds begin to roll in unusually quickly. Then I heard the great sound of a trumpet and saw a man sitting upon a great cloud attended by thousands from heaven. They were all clothed in flaming fire and the heavens were as a burning flame. I then heard a voice saying, Arise, you that are dead, and come to judgment. With that, the rocks split, the graves opened, and the dead who were in them came out. Some of them were extremely glad and looked upward, and some tried to hide themselves under the mountains for fear. Then I saw the man who sat upon the cloud open a book and bid the world come near. A fierce flame spewed out from before him, creating a barrier between he and the world of men, like the barrier between a judge and the prisoners at the bar. I heard the man who sat on the cloud proclaim to the heavenly hosts who attended him, Gather together the tares, the chaff, and the stubble, and cast them into the burning lake. And immediately the bottomless pit opened, just where I stood, and out of the mouth of that pit came smoke and coals of fire, accompanied by hideous noises. Then I heard the man who sat on the clouds proclaim to the heavenly host, Gather my wheat into the barn. And with that I saw many people caught up and carried away into the clouds, but I was left behind. I tried to hide myself, but I could not, for the man who sat on the cloud kept his eye on me. My sins also came into my mind, and my conscience accused me without mercy. Then I woke from my sleep. Christian asked, but what was it that made you so afraid of this sight? He explained, why I thought that the day of judgment was come and that I was not ready for it. But what frightened me most was that the angels gathered up others but left me behind. Also the pit of hell opened her mouth just below where I stood. My conscience afflicted me, and I thought the judge had his eye on me, and I saw in his expression both anger and indignation. Then the interpreter said to Christian, Have you considered all these things? Yes, Christian answered, and they caused me to both hope and fear. The interpreter told him, Seriously, keep all these things in your mind as a constant encouragement and warning as you journey on ahead to the celestial city. Then Christian began to prepare himself for the journey ahead, and when he was ready to depart, the interpreter said, May the Comforter be with you always to guide you in the way that leads to the city. So Christian went on his way, saying, Here I have seen things rare and profitable, pleasant and dreadful, things to give me stability and wisdom to deal with the tasks at hand. For showing me what I need to understand for the journey ahead, I thank you, good interpreter. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. With me in studio is Alexandra, my wife. We want to know the lessons of the Holy Spirit.
We want to walk in those lessons and we want you to walk with us. This is a trying time for us right now, but we're trusting Jesus to carry us through. We'd love to hear from you. Alexandra, tell them how they can reach us. Please visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can send us an email. You can call us. You can also make a donation online. You can listen to this message as well as past messages. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You're also welcome to write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. We also invite you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for National Prayer Chapel. You're also welcome to be a part of a Sunday worship time. Not the traditional church, but a house church. And if you'd like to be a part of that, please call 703-489-1785. That's 703-489-1785. These precious lessons of the Holy Spirit, they teach us the way of the cross and to walk in the freedom of the blood of Jesus Christ, transformed changed from the old evil nature into a righteous man and woman, rejoicing in the glory of Jesus and reaching out and loving and ministering to those around us. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.